1965, the band The Birds, B-Y-R-D-S, for you young ones here, had a chart-topping number one hit song titled Turn, Turn, Turn. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven. For some of you, that song is now stuck in your head. The passage we're about to read forms the rest of the song. In other words, the bird's number one hit was a poem on the seasons of life from the Bible. In the passage we're about ready to read, the Koheleth, or preacher, or teacher, presents us a picture of what life um, is to be like when we allow God to bring meaning and purpose into the seasons of our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I need this. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We want to know God. We want to know his will. We want to know his way. We must know his word. Let's pray. Father, this word comes to us at a very important time. People on earth are trying to get back to normal post-COVID, and we know normal is not good. We need you to remind us uh, of who you are, that this great gift of having eternity in our hearts and times and seasons that you make beautiful. Help us to enthrone you um, over our hearts and our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever seen those wooden 3D puzzles that you have to put together? Um, they can be quite complex. The one I have in mind is uh, of a dog that I saw. All the, all the parts, 3D parts of this dog, wooden, wooden parts are laying on a table and you have to take each part and look at it, try to figure out where it goes. Like the leg goes somewhere under the belly maybe and then the tail somewhere in the hind quarters and 
you just you begin to piece it all together. It's just amazing how it all fits into place. But the problem with the one that I've seen is that when you put it all together and you set it down, it falls apart. <laughs> See, the trick is you have to put it all together and then there's this tongue that is on the end of a pin or a, or a, a, a rod and you slide it all the way through and then it holds the puzzle together. Can you guys picture that in your minds? There's a pin that holds it all together. What the wisdom of Solomon is that we're reading here is it's trying to drive this home to us. Last week, we saw Solomon say, take a look at my life and learn. He said, he said did, you see, did, you, did you see how he picked up the puzzle piece of wisdom, but by itself, apart from God, it only brought sorrow? Did you see how I picked up the puzzle piece of pleasure-seeking, but by itself, apart from God, it never satisfied? Did you see how I picked up the puzzle piece of morality, but by itself, apart from God, it only led to frustration? Did you see how I picked up the puzzle piece of toiling hard in this world for gain, but by itself, apart from God, one's toil produces no lasting fruit? Solomon is saying that the puzzle pieces of wisdom, pleasure, morality, and hard work only result in what? Hebel, vapor, mist, apart from God. And this week, he shows us that God is the pin that holds everything together. This is such an important point. God must be the pin that holds everything together in your life, or you will never escape the hebel the vanities of vanities of life under the sun. In chapters 1 and 2, when life is lived under the sun apart from God, life is futile, right? It's a striving after the wind. It's like trying to herd happiness, but good luck. In chapter 3, though, we see that when we trust God to be the pin that holds all things together for good, then everything is beautiful in its time. That's what we read in Verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh, if we could just believe that. Listen, when the pin is in place, life explodes with meaning and purpose. All the pieces that were once nothing but disjointed hebel, vapor, water on a hot skillet. When the pin is in place, all things begin to have meaning and purpose. And more than that, they are beautiful in their time. Today we're going to see that, that God is on the throne. And we just don't believe in God. We stand in awe of him as our sovereign God, who alone can hold all things together for our good. That's what we'll look at this morning. We'll divide our time into three areas. First, that God is sovereign over our present. Second, God is sovereign over our future. And third, you guessed it, God is sovereign over our past. Now, before we get into it, what do we mean when we say God is sovereign? Well, a sovereign is someone who rules over something, like a, like a king. But think about all the earthly kings and how they try to hold everything together. Just watch the crown, right? <laughs> Good luck, right? Um, only God is truly sovereign. He rules and reigns with perfect wisdom and goodness. Nothing is outside of God's radar. Added to that, all things work according to his plan. And because God is good, we know it's a good plan. At least we should. 
There's nothing inside creation or outside of creation that isn't under God's careful rule and reign. He is sovereign. In other words, God is, God is on the throne of everything. And when he is the pin that holds your life together, everything falls into place. All right. First, God is sovereign over our present. The big idea with this is that when God is the pin that holds everything together for you, it matters not what season of life you are in presently. And because of this, we should stand in awe of God and draw near to him. Our passage begins with the statement, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then we read a poem of Solomon that lists some of the seasons in life, right? Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. How are we to make sense of all this? I think the temptation, which I'm not going to do, is to take each one of them and describe how life can seem like there's, that there's life and then there's death. There's times when you, when you plant and a time you need to harvest. But I don't think Solomon wants us to say, you know, some days you weep, some days you laugh, so get over it, carpe diem, right? No, that's not what's going on here. John LaRue says, let's not miss the forest for the trees. Solomon has given us a list of bookends, of polar opposites, that we might understand that everything in between the bookends is what God gives meaning to. If you swing the pendulum as far as from birth as to death and everything in between, God assigns meaning and purpose and value to these. Somewhere between love and hate, laughing and crying, mourning and dancing, somewhere in between all of those, God assigns meaning to all things in between. So why cast such a, a wide net? Because the pin is in place. When God takes the throne over this hopeless age, there's, there's nothing that falls outside of his rule, nothing that falls outside of his sovereignty. If God is assigning meaning and purpose and value to everything, then between the bookends of all opposites, we have a God who sits enthroned over them, giving meaning to them. You know, there's a game that parents tend to play with their children. Maybe you've played it with them. Maybe you're a child yet don't have any kids, but... You might remember something along these lines. You know, a dad will say, hey, Jimmy, you know how much daddy loves you? Does he love you this much? And Jimmy goes, no, dad. He goes, does daddy love you this much? He goes, dad, come on, no. And then Jimmy steps on his tippy toes and he stretches out in his arms and says, no, daddy, you love me this much. And it's true. From here to here and everywhere in between. The preacher is saying something similar. Somewhere nestled between life and death and love and hate, as far as the net can be cast, we as children of God see his fingerprints on everything. From here to forever. Because God is on his throne. And check out what we see in verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Amazing. We should be amazed by that statement. Everything beautiful in its time. Not tomorrow. Not when you finally get that pay raise or that good-looking girl on your arm. No, in its time. Not just here or here, but beautiful 
everywhere in between. That's what Solomon tells us this morning, but I think we tend to miss it. Why? Because I think in truth we're, we're mostly pragmatists, right? We're, we have a utilitarian view of the universe, and that means all we want out of life is what it can give us. And so we're willing to put up with some dull college classes so long as someday we get that great job that makes it all worthwhile. But it's not beautiful in its time. But what the writer is saying is that if God is on his throne and God has made all things, then education is not a means to an end. It is the end itself. It's beautiful because we get to, we get to peek into the universe that God himself has made. It's an exploration of his fingerprints on everything. It's not something that you use to get a, into a good college to get a good job so you can make lots of money. But sadly, I don't know about you, but I'm pre-wired that way, right? I'm so practical. You know, why do you want a good high school education? So you can do well on the SAT? Why do you want to do well on the SAT? So you can, what, get into a good college? Why do you want to get into a good college? So you can get a good job. Why do you want to get a good job? So you can make lots of money. Why do you want to make lots of money? So you can have all the things that Solomon listed, listed in chapter 2, where he says it will not make you happy. But Ecclesiastes tells us that the dull class is not simply a practical means to an end. It's not something that you fast forward through with God on his throne, with the pin in place, all things at all times under heaven are beautiful in their time. When we stop trying to herd the wind of happiness, you missed that last week, you can go and listen to it. When we stop using things to achieve some future gain, then we actually can begin to enjoy the world as God has created it. That's what the preacher is getting at in verses 9 through 11. These verses help us make sense of the, that poem there. Yes, he, he begins with a question. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Think about that question. What gain is there for our toil? Is that not a question pragmatists ask? And he's already answered that in the first two chapters, right? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is nothing, right? Under the sun, without God, you gain nothing from all of your toil. But the preacher here, he wants us to ask better questions, to get better answers. The business that God has given us isn't just to work hard to make a name for yourself that will, in the end, what fade over time to nothing. No, the business he has given us is to realize that everything in life has, it, has its season. It has its time. And it's up, up to us as his children, as his creatures, to find the beauty in it now. To see the fingerprints of a sovereign God over all things. If everything from birth to death, from weeping to laughing, from keeping and casting, if every spot on the continuum displays the fingerprints of God, then when the pin is in place in your life, you stop looking for gain in the future, and you start looking for beauty in the present. And guess what? In the present, even sorrow is beautiful if the pin is in place. If not, then Jesus was a liar. For he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.
Let me ask you, was Jesus' life beautiful? I mean, every moment of every day beautiful, from his birth until his death, until his resurrection. Was every moment in time beautiful? When he healed the sick and raised the dead, yeah. When he walked on water, heck yeah. I would have liked to have been there. Epic day. But how about when he was young and in his father's carpenter's bench, learning how to make a table and hitting his thumb with a hammer? Beautiful. Sitting in the synagogue, reading scripture. Beautiful. Stuck in August traffic on Montauk Highway. (laughs) All right, he didn't do that. But if he's in us, he's here on Montauk Highway. As we're driving around, Christ dwells in us richly. Listen, no matter what season of life Jesus was in, every second, every second was beautiful in its time. Do you understand that? When the pin of God sitting on his throne is holding your life together, you'll be able to find the beauty in the season that you are in. Some of you need to hear that loud and clear. God is on his throne, and God alone is the pin that brings meaning to life. And so we must stand in awe of him and praise him and delight in him now. In whatever season he has us in, Does this make sense? So first, God is sovereign over our present time. Next, we see that God is sovereign over our future. And here, and this is in verses 11 through 13, if you have your Bibles open. Um, Here, the writer, the big idea is that he's admonishing us to let let God be God. He's the creator. Um, We are the creatures. And he's he's challenging us here to embrace our creatureliness. You know, God knows all things, we don't. Basically, can we be comfortable with that? Can we be comfortable not having to go to the psychic on Monday to find things out? You know, only the human creature is able to ponder eternity, right? Animals know nothing of time, let alone eternity. Try asking a cow what tomorrow may bring, and what do you get? A blank stare. Maybe the words, eat more chicken. Only the human creature is able to ponder eternity. Why? Because God made us in his image, and because we've been made for eternity. That's what we read in the middle of verse 11. Also, he, God, has put eternity into man's heart. I remember when I was 10 years old and my grandpa, Papa, had died. And I remember where I was mourning him. I was in my bedroom. My dad had made these bunk beds out of two by fours and stained them brown, Uh, very inexpensive. I'm on the bottom bunk, lying there, looking up at my brother's, the bottom of my brother's bunk. And I became haunted by the idea of eternity, haunted by it. It was too much for the mind to bear. Forever and ever, time going on and on and on and never ending. 
the thought that I would never, ever see my grandfather again for all eternity was crippling. I tried to push the thought out of my mind, which is what we creatures are pretty good at. How are you at pushing eternity out of your mind, ignoring it? And think of all the people today who deny the existence of God and who claim that there is no such thing as an eternal soul, that when you die, that's it, no more, gone for all eternity. My question is, how do they know? You know, I've talked to many people who've told me over the years that they don't want to live forever. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I don't want to live forever. Maybe, maybe that's you here today. I don't mean to ridicule you or mock you, but when people say that, I say, give me a break. I don't want to live forever. It sounds so noble, so I'm on my throne, so confident, so in charge. What a load of you-know-what, right? I will often push back and say something like this. I'll say, oh, okay. So, all right, let me get this right. You don't think you want to live forever. Okay. But you at least want to finish out the day, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, and tomorrow, you know, you don't really have anything big on your calendar. Oh, oh, okay. There's some things you might want to enjoy tomorrow. Okay, all right. Well, maybe the day after that. that would that be a good day for it all to end, right? No? Oh, okay. You got, you're thinking you might want to live on that day, too. But what about the next? You get my point, right? Even the most boring day of your life, you're still glad that you're alive, and you want to do the same or better tomorrow. So don't feed me lies that you don't want to live forever. It's just not true. You do. At least the atheist filmmaker Woody Allen was somewhat truthful when he quipped, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. God made us pre-wired for eternity. How does the rest of the sentence go? He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he, that's us, mankind, cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. We're clueless. God is sovereign. We are not. The preacher-teacher of Ecclesiastes is trying to point out, um, to, trying to put into our lives a proper perspective, which means we are to live with the pin in place, that, that God is on the throne. He is sovereign. We are not. Only God knows what tomorrow brings. Now, are you okay with God being God and you living with uncertainty, a little cloud over your head each and every day? Or do you want to run to the psychic to figure out what tomorrow may bring? Or do you want to chase after the wind in your own power so you can bring good things about in your life? Don't worry, God, I can make good things happen for me. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, that just doesn't work. Are you okay with God being on the throne? Better yet, do you delight in the fact that God is sovereign? And do you stand in awe of God? Now, when we live this way, with this pin in our lives, holding all things together, a few things occur. Verse 12. Since we are creatures who cannot see into the future, we read... I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. 
when God is on his throne, when the pin of God's glory holds everything together for us, we find that we are okay with God knowing everything from beginning to the end. And we're able to what? To be joyful and do good. Joy in life, even, in, even if life has become a battlefield for you. Listen, everywhere in the Bible, we are told that joy is the evidence that the pin is in place in your life. And we see that, that even Jesus lived with joy. Even as he entered the battlefield of the cross, we read in Hebrews, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is the sign that the pin is in the proper place and that God is on the throne of your life. So the question is, do you have joy? The other thing that occurs when the pin is in is that we do good. Verse 12, there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Now, goodness isn't just something God does. Goodness is who God is. God is good. And so if the pin of God's goodness is in place in our lives, we will delight to be good as our Father in heaven is good. So the picture is that when God is on the throne of our lives, we trust him with our future. And we, we seek to reflect his goodness here on earth. And we live with joy no matter whatever season or time that, we, that may come our way. And so then verse 13 actually becomes a reality for us. There we read, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure from his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is us living our God-given lives in the present so that we find beauty wherever we are on the continuum of life. The preacher wants us to respond properly to the fact that God alone is sovereign over all things, including, including the times and all the seasons of life. And because of this, we should live in awe of God. That's what verse 14 says. I perceive that, see if you can pick up on God's sovereignty. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, right? He's magnifying the sovereignty of God over life. And then he says what? So that people fear before him. Now, listen, you know, the fear of God is a good thing. I know many today will say, you know what? My God isn't scary. I have no reason to fear my God. Well, that's what happens when you make God in your own image. Of course, he has no teeth. And of course, he likes you just the way you are. Oh, maybe there's a, something he might want to change. What could that be? Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he just wants you to be happy. <laughs> that's it. So, a little more happiness. That's not who God is. God Almighty is, is glorious, powerful, majestic, eternal. He's the creator of all things. And he holds eternity in his hands. How can we not at least tremble at that reality? And look at it this way. If you've ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon, as I have, there is a healthy fear you must have. Yes, you soak in the beauty and the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. 
But then there is also this fear, this awe of respect that you must have. Otherwise, you'll step too far and fall like hundreds have done over the year. Michael Eaton explains how trusting God's sovereignty helps us to live the Christian life. He says, he says the fear of God that the preacher is talking about, listen, it's a little long, so pay attention, is not only the beginning of wisdom, it is also the beginning of joy, of contentment, and of an energetic and purposeful life. The preacher wishes to deliver us from a rosy-colored, self-confident, godless life with its inevitable cynicism and bitterness and from trusting in wisdom and pleasure, wealth, human justice. He wishes to drive us to see that God is there, that he is good and generous, and that only such an outlook makes life coherent and fulfilling. In other words, the pins in place, everything coheres, it all comes together. God is there, my friends, and he is good and generous. Don't let anyone ever try to tell you otherwise. And having him as the one who holds the pin in place, he is the one who must hold it. We must allow him to be that pin. We must trust him with every detail of our life. I know that's a hard thing to do. Essentially, that's what faith is, trusting. So God is sovereign over our present and our future. Lastly, real quickly, it won't take long. More than that, he's sovereign over our past, too. How so? Well, look how our passage ends. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. From God's perspective, everything's past tense. And listen, here's how it ends. And God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks what has been driven away. When we think of our past, do not sorrows and failings tend to come to mind? Things we regret, things we wish we could undo. You've got some of those, right? It's not just me. But also think about the times when we did honor God with, your li- with our lives. Every day we took up our cross and followed after Jesus. There was a lot of pain, right? There's pain when you turn the other cheek. There's also the loss of fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and lands and homes for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. You know what that feels like, right? When God is a pin that holds everything together for you, it means that you enter into his kingdom work. You toil with joy and seek to do good And the result is often loss, at least from a worldly, under-the-sun point of view, right? You know what I'm talking about. Listen. Listen to this last phrase and take comfort from it. God seeks what has been driven away. What's that mean? It means that God is sovereign over your past, your messed up, screwed up past. And he's, and he's sovereign over all of your sorrow and loss from seeking the kingdom. He's sovereign over all that. He has in Christ Jesus forgiven all of your sins of that life before Christ when that pin wasn't there. 
God through sending his son Jesus to live the life that you should have lived with, with every thought, word, and deed done with God on, on his throne that you should have done, but you didn't. Jesus did that for you. In Christ, God seeks what has been driven away. You, but without your sin. It's amazing, right? But it's not just that. It's more than that. It's more than just God forgiving your sin. This is a promise that God, by his grace, will recover and restore what seems from our vantage point to be lost forever. Remember Jesus said, for all who, 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 who when you follow me, you're going to lose fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers, right? You remember that? Um, and, and you do that for kingdom's sake and you'll be persecuted. But in the age to come, you will receive Fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers, right? God is a God who seeks what has been driven away. When God is the pin that holds it all together, when he's enthroned upon your heart as sovereign over all, your past is held in God's gracious hands. He knows what you have joyfully given up so you can follow Christ. He knows it. He knows every season that you've been in, all the years of, his li of your life. And he holds all this in his gracious, tender hands. God will one day make everything bad to come untrue for those who belong to Christ. When God is the pin that holds it all together, your past, present, and future are all in his kind hands. And he's promised a day to come when heaven comes down to a renewed and restored earth. And God himself comes down and the dwelling place of God is now with mankind and there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin, no more brokenness, no more apologies that need to be given, no more wondering if God really is working out all things for good. This is the day to come. Why? Because God is sovereign. He is on his throne. It means that nothing can get in the way of that day. And guess what? The eternity that God has placed in your heart, you will one day see. And you will one day walk upon that earth with your very feet. God seeks what has been driven away. Can you see how trusting God with your past enables you to stand in awe of him today? In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we come forward, I want you to delight in the fact that God is on his throne, that he is sovereign over all, that he is working out all things for good. And as you come forward, or maybe before you come forward, you'll have a chance just to silently in your own head and heart confess any ways in which God has not been the pin that holds everything together in your life. And you can join in with me and confess those things. But then you can come forward and be reminded. That you can take that pin and place it in there afresh in your life. Ask God to, to be to be the one who holds all the parts of your life together. For you. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to God's people that God is holding all things together for good for his people. He is on his throne. And God is good. 
And he is sovereign over our past, present, and our future. So maybe stand in awe of God. Maybe lift our hearts and our hands in worship today. Maybe live life together in all the seasons of life with God as the pin who holds it all together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this very morning proves to us why we need to know your word. Because in your word, we are exposed to the most glorious truths that if we believe them, if we receive them, if we trust in them, if we, if we come to you through these words, we experience wholeness and joy and life and peace and triumph in this very age. And we thank you that, that, this, that these words of, of, of Ecclesiastes are here in your word for us. Because we are a people, we are, we're so utilitarian. We're so pragmatic. Help us to shed that, if just a little bit today. Help us to be people who live in the moment because you are the pin that holds it all together. May we rejoice where we are, when we are, because you are a God who is sovereign over all things, we pray.